What up, guys? It's JP from The Chase Down, and I'm here with my co-host, Ben. What's up, everybody? Welcome. And last night, we had the all-star starters being named um, on TNT. I did a little live reaction video on our Instagram account. Nothing too serious. We're going to dive in a little bit more um, to it on the podcast, obviously. Let's just hop right into it. We'll go over the East starters. We have in the backcourt, Trey Young and DeMar DeRozan. And then in the front court, we have Kevin Durant, Joel Embiid, and Giannis Antetokounmpo. Any issues there, Ben? Um, I don't know about issues. I mean, we talked about the fact that DeMar DeRozan is not a guard. Yeah. Um, but I would rather see him starting over a guard that didn't deserve it. Um, Trey Young's having an awesome season. He's like career highs in efficiency right now. There's a lot of people buzzing about Zach Levine should have been a starter over Trey Young. Um I don't know about a lot of people, but Charles Barkley is pretty loud about that. Um, and I don't know that I believe it. I mean, like the Hawks have not been great, but if you just look at Trey Young's numbers, he's putting up like 28 and nine, 28 and 10 um, on just amazing efficiency. So, I mean, undeniable that he did he, him and DeMar DeRozan should be there. Yeah. And when it comes to Trey Young, if you've been a longtime listener of the podcast, you know, I used to be one of his bigger haters. Um, I think in last year's playoffs, he really did prove to me that he, that he's a winning player despite his inability to play defense. Um, so in situations like this, where the team's not working around him, I tend to not give him much blame anymore. He's clearly a transcendent offensive player. So maybe the pieces aren't working. Maybe I love Nate McMillan. Maybe he's lost the voice in the locker room somehow. I don't know. The Hawks have been 5-0 and since trading Cam Reddish, and I don't think that's a coincidence. I think there was like a rift in the locker room with Cam Reddish. He wanted so many shots. Every time he got put in the game, he was shot chucking. Um, I, I think that creates some clarity for the rest of the roster. Um, Trey Young, I'm totally okay with him being a starter. His stats are out of this world this season. Um, like you said, DeMar DeRozan. He should be a starter. Unfortunately, we can't put him in as a forward because those three guys that are in the front court are way better than him. Um, but he deserves to be an all-star starter for the year he's had. Yeah, and I think this year should be proof that all-star starters and potentially all NBA should be the best five players. Like, we'll get into it with the West, but the argument that you have to pick two guards and three or two forwards and a big um, – I don't think it's right. I think you got to pick the five best players in the East and West and put them as your all-star starters. Cause I mean, like a lot of these guys can play pretty positionless basketball, but it's, it's more about the accolades. It's more about like looking at this a couple of years down the line and knowing that these guys were all-star starters. DeMar DeRozan, not ever playing a single second at the guard and being a guard vote an all-star starter at the guard spot I think is perfectly fine and I think that's kind of how it should be going forward yeah I um like you said the only reason it's not that way is to protect prior achievements right mm -hmm. um all NBA specifically I mean it's been a position-based award for its entire existence if they were to just do away with that that would kind of blur the lines of history pretty pretty quickly um but let's go to the front court Kevin Durant Giannis and Joel Embiid obviously these are I don't know three of the best seven players in the league um Joel's been on a 
unbelievable scoring tear, 30 points or more in the last 13 out of 16 games. He's been dominating. He had his worst game last night against the Lakers, and he still ended up with 29, 9, and 7. Um, he is a freak. Um, he has a case to be made. We're going to talk about this a little bit later, but he's at the MVP table. I think his name should be thrown out there a little bit. He obviously deserves the center spot in the East. I don't think there was really even a chance anyone contested these three spots. No, no, yeah. Joel Embiid is very clearly the best center in the East. Um, and this is kind of, I, not to get back on the All-NBA thing, but like the fact that only one of him and Jokic is going to be first team All-NBA this year is what I think is a tragedy. Yeah. Um, like obviously they are two of the five best players in the NBA this year and they should both deserve to be up there. Uh, it definitely does mess with history a little bit to not put either one of them up or to like change those rules like that. But uh, Giannis, another dude who deserves a seat at the MVP table, deserves a serious conversation. Um, Kevin Durant's going to be injured, I'm pretty sure. But I mean, we know how good he's been this year. Um, I wonder who he's going to get replaced by. It's so weird this year with all the injuries and all the COVID stuff and like so many guys just haven't played enough games to really consider them MVPs. It's going to be weird to see who he gets replaced with. There are rumors because of Steve Nash saying that he will be reevaluated just next week, that the timetable has been sped up and he'll probably be able to play in the game. That would be really fun. Mm. But if he doesn't end up playing in the all-star game, I think it will probably end up being Tatum, which is like, I don't know. He's a very popular player throughout the league. We don't have to get too into Celtics stuff right now, but <laughs> um, another player that obviously deserves to be there, Kevin Durant. He was, yeah. in my opinion, the best player um, in the NBA as he was playing the workload he was putting up, playing insane amount of minutes to keep that team afloat. I thought he was the best player in the league. Giannis, his front court partner, also deserves to be there no one should be able to take his spot so the east is pretty consensus I didn't have an issue with a single one of the picks um DeMar DeRozan we talked about it he deserves to be in there I don't care what position they put him at yeah this is a top five these are the five best players in the east for the spots you got to put him at um we'll see some of the guys like Zach Levine will be a reserve um and, and like, there's some other guys that people try to argue. I don't even know if there's any other strong arguments. Trey Young's the only other dude that's like the worst out of the five here, but he's not bad. He's like having an awesome, awesome year. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I don't have any complaints. All right, then let's move to the Western Conference. We'll start with the backcourt with Stephen Curry and John Morant. Steph lit the league on fire the first two months of the season. He's been slumping like crazy these past few months, but... We can't forget about what he did the first two months. He's still one of the top seven, eight players in the league. He needs to be in the all-star game. There's no surprise there. John Morant, his partner in the backcourt, is a first-time all-star, obviously having a breakout year. I think he has a chance to either be first-team or second-team all-NBA by the end of the season. Like He oh, yeah. has taken a massive leap. I am completely fine with the backcourt here. Yes, no, no problems whatsoever with Ja or Steph, but uh, let's get to the part that we both want to talk about the most. Yeah. Um, Andrew Wiggins, first all-star start of his career. Is this the first all-star game he's ever made? Mm -hmm. um, it's a weird one. I think it's only because, so the Golden State Warriors uh, partnered with a K-pop band 
and one of the like k-pop's huge they have such a global uh, outreach and one of their guys fought pretty constantly for months to get andrew wiggins votes um so he's andrew wiggins is one of the top fan vote dudes on for the the west front court and that's why he's here he didn't get a lot of media votes he didn't get a lot of player votes but the fan votes went crazy for him okay i will say i get that k-pop thing that was a real contributor and we can't ignore that however the players voted him the fifth best forward so that's like teeter that's an all-star and the media voted him sixth. So that's like teetering. It would be up to the coach's decision. So the K-pop made him a starter, but I think he would have ended up being an all-star anywhere. Just yeah. maybe not a starter. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I wouldn't have a problem with him being a reserve, but the fact that he's a starter is just a bit weird. Uh, we, I texted you about this immediately saying, what, the, what, what was this? What, what, is, what are people thinking? Like, I just couldn't wrap my head around it. Um, but you just go through the West and you think about the forwards that would usually be in this spot. Kawhi's hurt. Paul George is hurt. Um, Brandon Zion. Ingram. Yeah, Zion's hurt. Brandon Ingram's on a team that sucks. Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis sucks and he's hurt. Um, there, there's no like clear guy that should be here. Andrew Wiggins has been consistent as hell all year. Um, it's cool that he made an all-star game. I think he deserved to make an all-star game. Um, it's a little much to see him starting, but honestly, it's not that ridiculous the more I think about it. Yeah. And that's kind of where I've landed with it. Um, we know that he's there because of the injuries. I'm sure he knows he's there because of the injuries. Um, it's one of those things that like three years down the line, we're not going to be like Andrew Wiggins, all-star starter type of thing. We're just going to recognize that he made the game. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much credit he's going to get for being a starter, like at the end of his career or even just moving forward. I think we all kind of recognize this is a very unique situation. He's been having an unbelievable year. Um, I think 18 points shooting the three ball better than he ever has in his career. I think above 40%. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's, he plays very good defense out of the wing. He's the third best player on the second seed in the West. It makes some sense that he would be in the game. I don't know how much, detail we're going to put into the him being a starter in a few years right now it seems a little crazy and a little strange which it definitely is moving forward I don't know how much people are going to care I yeah I hope they don't care too much I hope they just recognize that he made one um it'll probably be a thing that'll end up in some YouTube videos down the line of like the worst all-star starters ever right NBA history or whatever um but you you kind of had to reward one of these teams with another all-star. I think the Warriors are fine to have a second all-star starter. Um, Draymond Green is another dude that could have been there. I know his points per game are garbage, but he is clearly a more impactful player for the Warriors than Wiggins is. Um, Wiggins is having a great year, career year. He is a dude who, if will will get you 18 points a game, every game consistently. If you need 12 points from him, he's getting you 18. If you need 30 points from him, he's getting you 18. Um, he is, he shows up and he does his job every single day. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I do want to give credit to Andrew Wiggins because what made him such a frustrating player in Minnesota is he used to take so many inefficient shots. There was clearly talent there, but there was no refinement to his game. He was mm-hmm. just an absolute freak athlete who liked to shoot the ball. And that's kind of what he was with golden state. He has completely cut out the, contested long twos um he goes to the rack and he shoots threes and it's made his game a lot more efficient 
And he's, uh, he's a lot more consistent now, too. Like you said, he's 18 every single night. When he was in Minnesota, you would see a 40-point game here, and you'd see an eight-point game here. It was The roller coaster was so dramatic with him. Um, in Golden State, you kind of know what you're getting in, game in and game out. And I think he's been a really important part of this team's success. So, like we said, it's a little strange seeing him there, but who, who really cares? I mean, like, no one else is available. You know what I mean? So Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not the worst thing in the world, but it's going to look a little goofy in a, little year, a couple of years. Uh, right. But the other two starters for the West, LeBron James and Jokic, obvious. LeBron James, this is his 18th All-Star appearance. Um, at, uh, unreal. It's really, really ridiculous. Uh, I have been a firm – this is a little bit of a tangent, but I've been firm on the uh, Michael Jordan is the GOAT for a very long time. And I, maybe it's dumb to think of it like that. Maybe you gotta, I think you kind of got to look at generation by generation and talk about what was the best player of that generation, but it's hard to argue LeBron James. It's hard to say that he's, he doesn't have an argument for the goat. Yeah. I think it's stupid for people who say that type of thing, like yeah. skip Bayless's of the world where it's just, they only trash on LeBron. I think that's the stupidest thing ever. He's mm-hmm. clearly the second best player, if not the best player to ever touch a basketball court. Yes. I think it's so ridiculous. Um, I don't know, man. Like the, we don't have to go into an NJ LeBron debate, but they're very unique in them in themselves. Right. Yes. You could stick Michael Jordan on any team and he's the same exact player. He's going to give you 35 and five every night with all defense on the perimeter. He's a little bit easier to play around because you know exactly what he is and he doesn't need the ball all of the time. Mm -hmm. LeBron, he has the ball in his hands all the time, but because he has the ball in his hands all the time, his teams win games at a stupid pace. So I just think it's crazy seeing the numbers from LeBron, like he's going to be first in scoring all time, 18 all-star selections, probably 18 all NBA. Um, Let me check that real quick, but it's just like, he is just such a transcendent player at 17 time, all NBA. He will be all NBA by the end of this year. Um, it's just, the accolades are ridiculous. The longevity is ridiculous. How, if, how good he is this old doesn't make sense to me. Um, he deserves all the flowers in the world. I'm glad he was the captain over Steph Curry. He's having a much better year than Steph Curry. Um, yeah. I, I, there's obviously no question. He deserves to be the captain of the West and, I think he can probably get another two all-star appearances, which just like doesn't make sense to me. Like a 40-year-old or a 38-year-old making an all-star game. It's just, it's so unique to the game of basketball. It really is. I I, I was on a, I used to be like not a big fan of LeBron back in his Cleveland days. Um, I think I was just a Celtics fan and a bit of a hater, but you just got to appreciate who he is and what what he's still doing. Um, I think out of anybody that's ever played in the NBA, if you wanted to take a single player and make five clones of them and make a basketball team out of it, LeBron James is the best one. Yeah. Um, best all around player to ever play basketball. Top two, at least all time, obviously. Um, the fact that he's 37 and he's still doing this averaging 29, seven and eight right now, it's stupid. Um, and then just to, to go to Jokic, he is also, very clearly the best center. I mean, I don't know about very clearly the best center in the NBA, but best center in the West, obviously. I think it's pretty clear he's the best center in the NBA. And I don't want to diminish what Joel's doing. And I, I don't like that we even have to compare them and choose who's better because both of them are so unique and so great. Mm-hmm. But what Jokic can do passing the ball. I, I recently watched Pistons uh, 
Nuggets the other night. Watching Jokic is such a unique experience. There's really no one, I think, in NBA history that's played like him. So willing to give up the ball, so willing to run your offense from the three-point line, from the elbow, from the post, um, can score in every way imaginable. This guy's so unique. Um, I think, speaking of someone who's going to be really good long-term, Jokic, he doesn't rely on athleticism at all. It's hard to imagine there will be like a steep decline for Jokic unless he like lets himself go eating wise, weight wise. But like, other than that, it's going to be hard to stop being good for Jokic. Like I I think he's just going to keep racking up accolades and he should have made the NBA 75. I'm sorry. I don't give a shit that he's only made three all-star games. He deserves to be on that list. I would take his career over Damian Lillard's career it's a wash to me. And Dame's been in the league for like a decade. Jokic has only been in the league for six years. I still think Jokic, what he's been able to achieve is like, I don't, I don't really understand it, but obviously Jokic deserves to be a uh, starter in the West. Pretty clear. Yeah. Yeah. He is the best passing big man ever. Um, if think about some of the players, I mean, like, and he's doing this with, with pretty weak, with a pretty weak supporting cast. If he had a dude like Seth Curry on the perimeter, um, his assists, he would have two or three more assists per game every single game. If he could fling that out to the corner for somebody, like he has nobody right now shooting over 40% from three. Uh, Devon Reed is the only dude right now, and Zeke Naji, but neither of them have played like most of the year. Right. Um, everybody in his starting five is shooting 37% or under from the three-point line. He doesn't have spacers. Um, and he's still putting up 26, 14, and 8. It's stupid. I think I think what we need to start talking about, too, is let's just cut the best big man passer out of his vocabulary. I think he sh- literally should just be mentioned with Magic Johnson and LeBron James and Chris Paul as, like, one of the best passers ever. Oh, 100%. Like, we can just take the big man out of that sentence. I've, I've never seen a player pass the way he does. Um, LeBron's an excellent passer, but they have different styles of it. Like we see these tower, he towers over everyone at seven foot and he does these baseball passes to the other end of the court for wide open threes. It's just, you can't find anyone else doing these things. One of the most unique players in NBA history. It's pretty obvious. He deserves to be on here. Yeah, man. I'm, I'm just excited for MPJ and for, uh, Jamal Murray to come back. Um, the, the fact that this team is still fighting, they're still 26 and 21. They're above, above 500 with the lineup that they have is pretty ridiculous. And he's one of the, we can move on in a second too, cause it's going to transition, but he's one of the best pick my guys up players in the entire league. Um, the, what he can do all around the court with rebounding, scoring and assisting, he lifts his team. And that's why he should transition be in the front race of the MVP conversation. In my opinion, I chose him preseason to win back-to-back MVPs. I'm feeling very confident about that choice. He's having a better year than he had last year. Defensively, he's insane now. Like considering the improvement of where he was to where he is now, that's it's an unparalleled jump on that side of the ball. So he's the best, one of the best offensive players in the league. And now he's an elite defender too. Personally, I don't see how you can give it to anyone else as of right now. I, Giannis is in the mix, but they keep losing games to teams they shouldn't lose to. So it's like, how do you reward that kind of, even though he's been incredible, I think Jokic is 
a choice for me, but it's so open this year. And that's kind of what we're going to go into. What do you think about the MVP race so far, Ben? I would love it so much if Jokic could win back-to-back MVPs. At the moment, his team's just not good enough. Um, I hate that like that gets included in the MVP discussion, but it does, and it always has. It's got to be the best player on one of the best teams. If you're not top four in your conference, you're really, you don't have a chance to make MVP unless you're Russell Westbrook the first time he ever averaged a triple-double. Um, and you know, that was nobody, we hadn't seen that before. I, we know now that it's not as impactful as we kind of thought it was then. Um, but nobody had seen that since Oscar Robertson. Um, it makes sense that he won it. I can't see Jokic winning it with the record that they have now, but with Murray and Porter jr. Coming back, they're going to rise in the standings. Um, Utah is not a formidable team. Um, they're 30 and 19. There's a lot of teams in the West. So the West is pretty top heavy because there's a lot of teams in the West that are easy wins. Uh, Houston is basically a, you can pencil in a win wherever they are in your schedule at any point. OKC, same thing. Um, Spurs, pretty much the same thing. The Kings, pretty much the same thing. Um, so those, those top three or four teams I I think that there's some room for movement there. And I think the nuggets are going to start climbing up. Yeah, I I think so too. Um, And this is what kind of goes to what you were saying. Who on the top four seeds in the West is an MVP candidate? Utah, they don't have one. Memphis, John Morant, but it seems like it might be too early for that for him. Let's get him an all NBA selection before we give him the MVP. Um, Golden State, Steph, no. The way he's been performing, he does not deserve an MVP. And the team's just been like 500 since Clay came back. Phoenix, Devin Booker's great. He's not an MVP. Chris Paul's fantastic. I think he deserves some hype for MVP. But when you look at his statistics, they're not eye-popping enough to hand over the award. We head over to the East. Miami, they do it by a crew. It's a group effort. It's not a single player dominating. Mm-hmm. Chicago, DeMar's great. He's not an MVP player. Let's be real. Cleveland, same thing. They're a group effort. Brooklyn, KD was that guy, but now he's, if he's hurt for as long as the initial timetable was, you can't hand him an MVP. So that kind of goes to our argument. It's so wide open because there's no guy really taking the reins who's ha- who also has a successful team. Yeah. I mean, I think Steph Curry still deserves a seat at the MVP table. The past two months of slumping, he's still shooting 35.5% from three. We're, there's some terrible games in there. There's some one for 13s, one for 12s from the three-point line in there. There's a um, two of them. But his average is still at 35.5% over the he, last two months. He, yeah, he's, he's shooting 37% from the year, which is still like – it's, it's a low for him. Yeah, um, it's a career low. It's a career low. Right, but they are still – cruising they're still number one rated defense in the league number one net rating in the league um i think out of anybody in the top four in the east and west steph curry is the dude who still deserves a seat at the table um i don't think he's a front runner anymore he was clearly the front runner at the start of the year um and the past two months have been tough for him and he needs to figure that out i'm seeing like misses in practice from him that i don't usually see uh, somebody put up a clip of him shooting after a game um, just open gym taking shots and I watched him go like 11 for 25 from the three-point line um, which does not happen I don't know what if there's an injury or what it is that's causing this slump but even with the slump he's putting up 
26 and six and five on, you know, like better than everybody else in the league efficiency. Yeah. And it's, um, I, I think I want to attribute it to wear and tear. Uh, we had last year where he played basically every single game. Um, he had a tailbone injury that kept him out for like two weeks, but he played most of the season last year mm-hmm. and he was the leading scorer in the NBA. He had to do every single thing for that Warriors team to even get them into the play-in. Um, I just want to attribute this to wear and tear. Um, and I also want to do like teams have just been able to key in on him because Clay's really rusty. Um, I thought we were going to maybe get the benefit that we got from KD coming back from an Achilles where KD just came back and was his usual self, if not better than he was before he got hurt. Um, that is not the case with Clay. Clay's been struggling. So teams can kind of double off of Clay onto Steph and just make his life harder. So I think that's what I want to attribute it to. He's still obviously, obviously an elite player, but I don't know. I don't know if we can give him the MVP. I mean, there's so much of the season left. There is right. so much of it. Like, so if he right. gets back to 43% from three and he has a month like he did last year where he shot 50 for a hundred from three, like then we're in the conversation, but as it stands yeah. right now, this race is wide open. Yes. Yeah. 100%. Steph Curry is not a lock, but I, I just think he deserves a seat at the table. And I, I agree. There's still so much season left um, that there's a very real chance that he just turns it around. If it ends up that he is the only guy out of the top four teams in the East and West that really has a shot, I think they'll give it to him. Um, like if Denver's still a five or six seed, if Philly's still a five or six seed, Milwaukee, if they're still low like that, I think Steph Curry will get that award. Um, I do see Philly and Milwaukee rising though. And I want to talk about Embiid or Giannis. Actually, I'll start with Giannis. Um, I've, I've sang my praises for Giannis throughout this year. He is doing some stuff this year that he has not done in the past. He's got some confidence going for moves that he has not tried in the past. Um, he's doing new passes. His numbers don't show a gigantic leap. Um, but he is almost coasting through some of these games and he's putting up 29, 11 and six. Um, he's trying a lot of mid range shots now that I wasn't seeing from him in the past. And he is still putting up a steal and a block and a half a game. Um, So he is, you know, the best two-way player in the NBA, the most impactful on both ends of the floor in the entire NBA. If the Milwaukee Bucks are able to string a whole bunch of wins together, I think he deserves a real shot at that title. Yeah. And like you said, it's, he's not getting a lot of credit and Joel Embiid's getting a ton of credit for the way he's playing. Let me just read off some of Giannis's point totals from the last 10 or so games. We have 26, 30, 33, 27, 30, 30, 26, 43, 31, and 31. All of those games are above 50% efficiency. He's cruising to these numbers, like you said. And it's kind of this championship arrogance, I think, that's going on in Milwaukee right now because they mm-hmm. should be the one or two seed. They just should be. They're, they're better than the teams that are above them. I love Cleveland. Milwaukee's better. It's not, let's be real. Yeah. Um, but it's this, we've done it. We've accomplished it. We know we can do it when we get to the postseason. So who cares if we lose in the regular season type mentality? And it used to be the opposite from Milwaukee. They used to plow through the regular season because it meant so much to them it's the opposite. They don't care anymore. And I think that's actually hurting his MVP chances because 
the stats, like you said, are freaking crazy. And he's still one of the best defensive players in the league. He'll make all NBA defense first team again. But it's just the record. They're the sixth seed in the East. Um, that's that's not going to win you the MVP. But obviously, the East is super compact and it's super, super close. Like one or two games could get them back into the three seeds. So, um, yeah, man, it's this such a weird race this year. I don't remember a year like this. As far as I've been a fan of basketball, I haven't remembered a year this wide open where it was just like, well, we have no idea. Usually there's a front runner and then they take it all the way. Or usually there's a month or two where someone really just stamps it. Um, we have not had that yet. Yeah, we're still waiting on that. Yeah, it's usually by the all-star break or like close to the all-star break that there's a dude who it's his award to lose. Um, and I don't feel that way with anybody in the league right now because the guys who are, you know, putting on the best performances right now, their team's just not good enough to where they're any sort of lock for this award. Yeah. Um, Joel Embiid's the the other dude. If the Sixers are a top three seed, he deserves the award, no question. Uh, mm -hmm. Like if he's the only team that's made it that far, if the Nuggets aren't able to make it that far, he deserves it, no question. Um, the way that he scores is unlike any other center in the NBA. Uh, Jokic does not have the ability to bully people in the post the way that Embiid does. And Embiid sets that up early. And then once the defense is scared of him bullying him in the post, he'll just pick on him with mid-range shots. He's got some step-back moves. I, I just, the handle that he's got at the size that he is, is incredible. And the fact that he's up to a little bit above league average from three, I remember years and years of saying Joel Embiid's got to stop shooting three-pointers. Yeah. Um, and now he's doing it and he's like just devastating teams with those threes. Like end of the fourth quarter, you need a bucket and he's just hitting a step back on somebody. Um, the clutch moments mixed with the stats, Joel Embiid, the, the Sixers just need to rise in the standings. And I think he would be a lock. Yeah, and I think the way he forces people to foul him, too, mm -hmm. the impact that has on wins is so big. You just get the whole entire other team's center rotation and foul trouble the entire game, so the rest of your team can just attack the rim at nauseum. He is so unique, um, and that's why I hate comparing him to Jokic, because they're so different. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, the impact he has offensively, the way he goes about getting buckets is so different than any other player we have in today's game. Um, he, I think you're totally right. The way he's been playing is MVP ish. It's just that team record needs to start improving. Um, they, they actually should be looking to do something at the trade deadline. Doesn't mean trading Ben Simmons, but I think they need maybe a pass first point guard. I don't know where you find that, um, in the league today. There's so few of them, but I think Tyrese Maxey masquerading as a point guard is a little, it, it's too much to chew for him. He's not a guy who's going to set other guys up. He, he's getting his buckets. And when he gets doubled, he'll pass it to other people. But yeah, yeah, he is a scoring guard and he's a good scoring guard. Um, but every team needs a dude who can set up their guys. Joel Embiid's been doing it on his own, like really, really impressively for a dude who's never really been known to do that. Um, but if you threw a, you know, one name that I've seen thrown around a little bit as a guy that might get moved is Mike Conley. I saw that as well. Um, the Celtics are thinking of going after him. I saw some rumors about trading him Marcus Smart, trading the Jazz Marcus Smart and some assets. Um, and that's a that's a potential thing that like 
could be good, but if the Sixers could get Mike Conley, um, I talked about when we talked about that mock trade episode, I talked about putting Ben Simmons on the jazz and having just an absolute hound on the perimeter. Yep. Um, I think you could convince yourself that that works out for both teams. If you can make those pieces work right. I know Ben Simmons doesn't shoot threes and then you got to figure that out on offense, but uh, just like hypothetically somebody like Mike Conley on this team to set up Joel Embiid, he would be putting up even better numbers. Yeah, no. And that's what they need desperately. They need a playmaker. It's a shame Ben Simmons doesn't want to go play because if Ben Simmons was on this team and Joel was doing what he's doing, I think they're probably the number one seed by a pretty decent margin. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's The, the transition offense that they're missing out on the extra defense that they're missing out on. Um, it sucks that we're probably going to get to the trade deadline and Ben Simmons just isn't going to be moved. I have a feeling it's going to be in the summertime. I think yeah. Daryl's just going to dig in his heels. And it's unfortunate because if Joel stays healthy and plays this way, they're a legitimate title threat. Who yeah. is stopping Joel in the East? Nobody. Think about football. when they make it to the playoffs. If they're a six seed in the playoffs, they are a nightmare for that two or three seed that they got to play. And when we go through the teams in the East and who who's going to defend Joel, you go to the Bulls, Vucevic would get cooked. You go to the Bucks, they don't have Brooke Lopez. They would get cooked. The Cavs, Jared Allen, he's good, not that good. <laughs> They'll get cooked. Like there's not a single team that matches up well with Joel Embiid. And it seems like if they just had an all-star level player who could play good to perimeter defense and set people up like Ben Simmons, they could be a legitimate threat. It's a shame this year's going to waste most likely for Joel Embiid. Yeah. Um, I, I'm angry about that legitimately because he does not, Joel Embiid is not a healthy dude. He is not a dude you can rely on to play entire seasons. Um, he's not at, like, if this goes down as one of the best, his best year of his career, there's no guarantee he'll be healthy for all the next season when you finally get somebody for Ben Simmons. Like, especially going into the playoffs, we saw how gassed he was at the end of the playoffs last year. Um, when you put that load on him, he just, he's massive, man. He's like seven foot, 280, 290. That frame, you're playing him 35, 36 minutes a game in the playoffs. He gets worn down so easily. Yeah. And I think it won't only be like the best year of Joel's career. I think it might just be the best year by a sixer ever. Um, I'm looking at Allen Iverson's 2001 year, which is where he won the MVP. He averaged 31 points per game with four assists and three rebounds. I'll take what Joel Embiid's doing over that pretty easily. Um, I just think he is so unique. Uh, I, I just, if I was a Philly fan, I would be outraged. I would be outraged because the whole point of creating a team is to win a title. Mm -hmm. And if you have a guy like Joel and you have a trade asset like Ben Simmons and teams are begging to give you decent role players and picks you just got to take it. You got to yeah. take it. Daryl even went on the radio in Philadelphia and talked about a, that the Kings offered a package to him. And he said, we're not going to take that. And I'm like, okay, well just throw the year in the garbage then. It's just a shame. It's yeah, dude. I just, I'm not excited for them losing in the playoffs and then Joel Embiid getting really, really frustrated about like the, what if that could have been. Um, and this is a massive tangent that we've gone on here, but I like, I just, you have to watch the Sixers. Anybody who's listening to this who hasn't watched Sixers games, watch Joel Embiid. Literally just watch him the whole game. Um, it, we're, we're seeing something incredible here. 
So we're going to take a quick break and then I'm going to surprise Ben with a question that's been on my mind the past few days. All right, so we're back and I'm about to surprise Ben with a little question here. And it's, we texted a little bit about it a few days ago, but I do want to go in depth on the podcast about this issue. So the Phoenix Suns have a big decision on their hands this summer with DeAndre Ayton's contract. DeAndre Ayton wants a five-year max deal that will probably end up paying him $200 million over five years, $40 million a year. Recently, he's been hurt, and they've pulled up Bismack Biombo off the scrap heap. And in those games, Bismack Biombo is averaging 11-7 with one assist on 67% shooting from the floor. He's been incredible. He's been decent on defense for a big man. DeAndre Ayton, when he was playing, he was 16 points a game with 11 rebounds. So there's a five-point swing there, right? So basically what I'm asking you is the little differences that DeAndre Ayton does worth the $40 million a year that he's going to get? Or do you sign Bismack Biombo to a two-year $5 million a year deal um, and just spend money on other parts of the team? What, what do you think? I think DeAndre Ayton is a dude you cannot let go of if you're the Phoenix Suns. Uh, Bismack Biombo has brought a lot of energy on offense. He's a dude. Chris Paul is a dude where if you're a big man and you hustle and you care, he will find ways to set you up and get you easy buckets. Bismack Biombo does not have the ability to create shots for himself. He has the ability to catch a bounce pass and dunk it. Um, If you're talking about skill sets, the difference between DeAndre Ayton and Bismack Biombo is huge. And that the, the reason, the biggest reason I think you have to keep DeAndre Ayton is playoffs. Um, I've never seen anybody who's able to guard Jokic the way that DeAndre Ayton is. When we were talking about guys in the East that could guard Joel Embiid, DeAndre Ayton's the only dude I could think of that could seriously um, slow down Joel Embiid. Uh, I'd like he, his defense, his ability to be smart with his hands and not foul and play correct positions, um, rotate and right. He just does everything right on defense. His defensive IQ is so high that if you tried to watch Bismack Biombo go up against Nikola Jokic in the playoffs, you would be embarrassed. That's, that's my argument. I think it's a sound argument. I do, because I'm a huge proponent of bigs that can stay on the floor in the last four minutes of a playoff game. There's just not a lot of them. Mm -hmm. Um, Most teams get burnt that way. Um, DeAndre Ayton's one of those guys. What I think is interesting is Bismack Biombo has basically made DeAndre Ayton obsolete in terms of offense. There has been no offensive dip since DeAndre Ayton has left the team, and they still win basically every game they play. Um, if, if you're going to pay is based, it becomes a question. Are you willing to pay a guy $40 million a year to defend Jokic? That that's what the question is, because for me, I don't see much of a difference. You talked about skill set and how there's a major difference between Bismack Biombo and Deandre Ayton on offense. I don't see it. I don't see the big difference between them. Uh, Deandre Ayton cannot create for himself. He's made it very clear. Um, that he doesn't feel like creating for himself. Um, he rolls to the rim and gets passes from Chris Paul. That's exactly what Bismack Biombo does. 
So that's, I mean, I think that's a little bit unfair. Uh, I mean, like DeAndre definitely lacks a little bit of fire offensively, um, but he can turn and he can face up on a dude and shoot over him. He can, he has some post moves that he can do. He's got some mid range shooting that he can do, but he doesn't Uh, do them though. What, what's the, what is the importance of having moves that you don't use? I mean, do you want your offense to be, run through DeAndre Ayton if you have Chris Paul and Devin Booker. But that's what I'm saying. If like, I think there's be... times where you need that, um, but it's not something that you should be looking for play after play. I think that's what we've seen with DeAndre Ayton over the last couple of years is he's a dude who supplements some of your offense when you're really lacking and you need a bucket, you can throw it down to him. And like, occasionally he's, he's really not as energized on offense as Bismack Biombo is really. Like Bismack Biombo puts in a lot more energy. He tries his ass off, and DeAndre Ayton doesn't do the same things, but he is such a better player. He's got the ability to do more things. He shoots 20% better from the or 15% better from the free throw line. He's got real touch as a as a shooter. He can shoot the mid-range. Um, there's times where you're going to need that. $40 million is a lot to shell out. But if you lose DeAndre Ayton and then you go into the playoffs with Frank Kaminsky and Bismack Biombo as your two centers, you're going to lose. So that's where I that's where I question it because if you can put the forty million dollars into something else or someone else, will you lose? Like who? Are, are we sure? I'm not sure. There could be a trade request. Yeah, you know, Carl Anthony Towns wants to come to the Suns because he's best friends with Devin Booker. Um, there's free agent. I don't know. I have no idea. I, I didn't really think of who would be available. But with $40 million to disperse amongst the team instead of just putting it into your center. I don't know, man. I don't know. I, I really don't think there's a lot of difference between DeAndre Ayton and Bismack Biombo. I don't. I don't. I it's think. Silly. I think. Have you watched them play defense? Oh, I mean, sorry. I, on offense. On okay. Offense. On offense, I think DeAndre Ayton. The only way he gets points is pick and roll. That's it. They don't give him the ball in the post very often because they know he's going to pass out, or he just doesn't. He, like he's great when he's wide open in the dunker spot for a nice little jumper, or like pounding his way to the hoop or pick and roll. That's it. And Bismack Biombo, kind of the same exact thing. Like there's very, very little difference on offense. On defense, that is where the uh, difference comes in, right? You brought it up. Aiton can defend Jokic just about as well as anybody in the entire league. So it comes down to, do you want to pay a guy $40 million to defend Jokic? I'm not so sure. I thought it was bogus that they didn't give Aiton the extension once it was available. Now I think it's more plausible that they just don't end up paying him and he gets a max from like Charlotte or something. I don't know. I have no idea. But I think what Chris Paul has done with Bisback Biombo, Jalen Smith, Frank Kaminsky, all of these guys has made DeAndre Ayton seem less important than I previously thought he was. I think you've got to look a little deeper into these stats Um, over a quarter of Bismack Biombo's field goals so far for the Phoenix Suns have been dunks. Um, And it's, it's 14% for Deandre. 
Um, 80, 82% of Bismack Biombo's field goals have been assisted. It's 79% for DeAndre Ayton. Those are pretty close. It's the same thing. It's literally the same exact thing. The dunks is half. Yeah. Well, the dunks is different. But that doesn't, DeAndre Ayton can't create for himself at all. No, you don't need him to. You have Chris Paul on your team. And you don't need Bismack Biombo to either. That's what I'm saying. They both rely completely on the guards. They have no self-creating skills whatsoever that's true uh deandre ayton shooting 20 percent better from within three and ten feet if you give bismack biombo the ball anywhere that is not directly under the hoop he cannot score if you look at the numbers around the two-point line behind the paint outside of the paint deandre ayton can score and he can do it efficiently he can but he doesn't that's the issue like it's like what a what percentage of his points come from like the elbow you know, three to 10 feet, 44% of his shots come between three and 10 feet. That's a little surprising. And he shoots them at 58%. That's a little surprising to me. Bismack Biombo, uh, 30%, 31% of his shots come between three and 10 feet and he shoots them at 38%. So 58 versus 38. So is there the extra, is a difference is the extra four feet of space that Deandre Ayton can shoot plus the defense worth $40 million spacing. That's space. That's not spacing. That I mean, it's, not, it's not three point shooting, um, but the difference between a dude who can only hook shot in the paint and a dude who can actually step out to the elbow and hit a shot is major. It's made, but it's the, I don't know. He doesn't do what enough. Like, are people afraid of pe- uh, DeAndre Ayton at the elbow? Like are people running to contest that shot? I don't think so. I think for me personally, those are from what I've seen, or what I remember is those are pretty open shots for him at the elbow, completely uncontested. It's not like, oh boy, DeAndre Ayton's going to get hot from the elbow tonight. We got to stop him. It's never, he's never an emphasis of the other team's defense. They don't give a shit. Just let him run around on the offensive side of the ball and then you're good. I mean, I think DeAndre Ayton's at least 30% better, if not more, than Bismack Biombo offensively. And then defensively, it is close to all defense versus should not be in the league. I don't if think you have if you have a legitimate place to spend that $40 million and you could like if you could get Carl Anthony Towns over DeAndre Ayton, certainly you do that. Um, but if you're just gonna save $40 million because you're Robert Sarver and you're a cheap ass, um, no, I don't think that's the right move. That we can agree on. That we can agree on. If, if you're just trying to save money because you're cheap, you're throwing your franchise in the garbage. Chris Paul only has probably one or two years left of doing this. So you're throwing your team into the garbage. Yes. But and that's, that's part of it, dude. If you don't have a legitimate place for that $40 million, you want to keep this team together as is for as long as you can. If you have two years where you're overpaying DeAndre Ayton, but you were able to make another legit finals run, of course that's worth it. That's true. Basically, I guess for me, I'm nervous because I like DeAndre Ayton. Your pr- listeners are probably thinking I hate DeAndre Ayton right now. It's not the case. I think he's a great player. What I'm nervous about is paying him $200 million. Mm. One, I don't see the seal. Like, I don't know how much better he gets. I think this is who he is. What he is right now is what he is for the rest of his career, in my opinion. I don't know if that's stupid to think, but I don't see it coming, really. I mean, he's 23, so maybe that is a little silly, but I mean, skill set-wise, he doesn't have much more to add. It's literally intensity. But that's um, what I'm saying. It's like right. 
the effort and the like willingness to score just isn't there. And it hasn't been there since college. I remember that was his knock coming into the draft. It was like, oh yeah, his motor's pretty low. He doesn't really like do anything. Okay. He's super talented, but it's not like he's going to put the team on a back on his back for a game, you know? Um, so I don't see much of a ceiling there and the price point for a center who's not impacting the team a ton offensively and just, it's kind of like, it's kind of like the Rudy Gobert thing. Like is Rudy Gobert worth his contract? Yes. I think undeniably. Yes. But I think Rudy Gobert is light years better a defender than DeAndre. Right. So it's not exactly a fair comparison, but it's, you're paying a defensive center. You're paying a defensive center max money that you pay superstars and look out on the league and look at the teams with weak centers and look at how garbage they are. True. Minnesota Timberwolves are never going to be able to do anything as long as Carl Anthony Towns doesn't know how to play defense. DeMontis Sabonis doesn't know how to play defense, and they got to run Miles Turner. Um, you just go out and you look at the teams who have awful centers, and they lose when it matters. Brooklyn would be the exception. Yeah, Brooklyn is the exception. They've had horrible center play. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there, there are a few teams that buck that. Like, Kevon Looney's not fantastic. but you Draymond Dray- Green is their center when it matters. Fair. Um, but yeah, I, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. I, I just think it's a super interesting question coming up. Um, yeah. I think they're going to do it. I think it's probably best that they do it. I think probably three years into that contract, they get annoyed by it, though. Um, I think that's true. I absolutely 100% agree with you. But I would take those three years where you're actually contending for something. And then that blow up rebuild year where you're overpaying DeAndre Ayton. I think that's fun. I think, I think that's perfectly said. I think that you got to pay them because you're a contender now and you need all your pieces in place. You got Mikhail Bridges. You already paid him. You got Chris Paul, Devin Booker. You need all of your pieces here while you're a contender. I think that's true. I think by the end of that contract, he could be traded. I I think so. He could be dumped somewhere for salary um, because they find that when they're not contending for something, paying a dude $40 million to play good defense in the playoffs and to like do the things that you need a good point guard for, it's going to be useless. Um, But in the next, this year, the next two years, you need DeAndre. You want him on your team. And if they're not going to spend that money elsewhere, I think it's a no question. I guess it all comes down to who could they put the money towards other than DeAndre Ayton. I guess right. that's kind of what it all comes down to. Yeah. I mean, if there is somebody, then definitely it's worth trying. But if you lose him for nothing and then he goes to like the Mavs or the Hornets and they become a top team in their conference, you're going to look like a moron. Very true. Um, You've actually kind of talked me out of this a little bit. I'm glad, man. I just, I, if we could, I wish I could find old tape of us talking about the Hornets from last year. Cause I tried to go to bat for Bismack and Mason Plumley, Um, and I, you just shit on me relentlessly for it. Shit all over them. Yeah. <laughs> Justified. They are not good basketball players. Yeah. Um, Bismack Biombo is a dude who can roll hard to the rim and that is it. No defensive chops, no shooting ability his form is god awful um i think you need more than that out of your center if you really want to be something in the playoffs i think the re like because there's no debate that i absolutely shat on bismack last year Mm -hmm. part of the reason was his contract was absurd they paid he was one of those contracts from like 2016 or whatever that they just gave him as much money as they could afford yeah um 
the Suns have him on a minimum contract. Like mm-hmm. they literally picked him up off his couch and he's far out playing his contract. That's no debate. The thing is you can keep him and Aiden. You can, it, him as your backup center, that yeah. energy that he brings as a backup center is huge. They even have, I th- still think they got JaVale McGee, right? Uh, no, JaVale's on the, where is JaVale? No, JaVale, yeah, he's on the, I think he's on the. Yeah, so they got a lot of high energy bigs that they can throw in in their backup minutes, but you do not want to rely on those dudes for starter minutes. It's true. And I also want to give a shout out to myself really quick (laughs) because two years ago, and this could be the Chris Paul thing, I don't know, but two years ago, I kind of padded, like I thought the Jalen Smith pick was okay because I thought they were trying, I think I might have already said this on the pod, but Mm -hmm. they were trying to replace Frank Kaminsky he's shown that he's not a bum. Um, He's not a complete bust. Like he actually provides some spark out there. Mm -hmm. Um, I think on another team with maybe some more opportunity, we could see something from him. I'm not going to say he's going to be a good player or anything like that. I don't know that for sure, but he's played well with Chris Paul so far. You think you could trade him to Houston for Eric Gordon? Ooh, boy. Um, They need, they do need big men. You'd probably have to throw a first in there. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. Cause Jalen Smith's not that yet. He's just showing flashes. Right. Right. But yeah, but this, they have a young player with promise. It was brain dead. They didn't choose Halliburton, mm-hmm. but they have a player with promise, which is new, which is yeah. cool. So, I agree. Um, um, I have a pivot that I would like to get into. It's something we texted about um, before. And me and you have two pretty different opinions on this, I think. And I just think it's important to get it out on the podcast now, get some record of it. Uh, And that's the Cade versus Mobley debate. Um, I think Evan Mobley is a generational defensive player. I mean, it's not an, I think he is. Um, He can test shots at the rim. He can, he stays with guys on the perimeter better than anybody his size in the NBA besides like maybe Giannis. Yeah. Um, It's just Giannis. Yeah. He and he's got so much room to grow offensively, and he's already got such fluidity offensively. Um, the issue is Cade is the dude with the ball in his hands. Cade put up 14 for 26 in his last game. Um, if you have him taking 20 shots per game, his points per game are going to skyrocket. He is such an efficient shooter from the three, from the two. Uh, he plays fun, high energy defense. He's good at passing. He gets good rebounds. His stats are going to be hard to argue against. Um, I am worried about Evan Mobley's lock, Evan Mobley's rookie of the year lock. I think it's in the bag. Um, I think that's kind of where, why we need to get this out there. Yeah. Um, Cade, and if anyone follows me on Twitter, I do a lot of praising of Cade. I think Detroit has their guy. I think he's going to be very easy to build around. I love Cade, but they give him the ball every single possession and they just say, go create, go That's create. What I'm talking about. And I don't know, Mobley doesn't even have the fourth highest usage percentage on his teams. And when you do the counting stats and you add them all up, Mobley still has the advantage. So it's like, I understand when you watch Cade, it looks a little bit prettier, right? You see the catch and shoot threes. You see the deep threes. You can see the whip around passes and pick and roll. 
it looks a bit prettier. I, I firmly believe this, so I want to put this on record. I don't think there's been a rookie that has impacted winning the way Evan Mobley has since I've been watching basketball. I really don't believe so. Luca was amazing as a rookie. They missed the playoffs, okay? I don't know what other rookie I can even reference in this point. Um, LaMelo Ball, he got his team into a play-in play spot. The Cavs are the third seed in the East, okay? And I texted you this the other day. They would be a play-in team without Evan Mobley. It's just, it's that's what it is. His defense is so, he will make an all-defensive team as a rookie, which Tim Duncan can join him as. Um, it's just, it's super unique. And I know why the thing, like, I know why Cade's gaining steam is because over the last month, he's averaged like 24, six and six on amazing efficiency, 50, 40, 80. Yeah. So about as efficiency, about as efficient as you can get. Yes. But man, Mobley, I just, with the lack of responsibility he has on offense to be as efficient as he is and to make so much good out of the touches that he gets along with being an all def defensive player. I just, I don't know. For me, it's done. It's sealed. Um, I don't know, man. I, I think impact wise, we said this over text, but impact wise, Evan Mobley is certainly better than Kate. Um, this was the, the Cleveland roster that is right now is the same thing last year. They just didn't have mobile and they were one of the worst teams in basketball. Um, they had some fun weeks where they were looking competitive, but when it came down to it, the end of the year, they were garbage. Um, they add in Mobley and now they're one of the best teams in the East. I get it. I, I agree with you. Um, it's just the counting stats, man. I'm not saying I think Cade deserves the rookie of the year. I'm saying I think he might get it. I think voters might put him there. I think his points per game is going to get to 20 points per game by the end of the season. Um, with the amount of shots he's taking, the amount that they empower him to shoot the ball, like if they were doing that for Mobley, Mobley's numbers would be there too. We don't see the best version of Mobley offensively. He could be empowered to do more. Um, Cade is getting every opportunity to do whatever it is he wants to do, basically on every offensive possession. Um you know, like with or without Cade, the Pistons are the worst, one of the worst teams in the East. Uh, and that's the argument. Advanced stats and impact are the argument for Mobley. I'm just worried about how much people care about that when it comes to rookie of the year voting. And that's, that's what it's going to come down to because as a Mobley, Mobley Stan, right? Like he, once Kawhi retires, he's my guy I'm hitching my wagon to and I'll live and die with him. Um, I, I live and die with him right now. I've watched every single one of his games. But with Cade, it looks prettier. I'm not even going to deny it. Mm -hmm. It just looks prettier. You have the ball hander. You have the handles. You have the pull-up freeze. Like, it just – it looks prettier. It's more exciting. So I understand why this is gaining some momentum, That this thought process. But at the end of the day, like, the impact that we've talked about is so obvious. I, I think it has to go to Mobley. I don't know if it'll be close either. See, yeah, and that's where I disagree because I think right now it's close among uh, among people that are like making those rankings right now. I think they have Mobley one, Cade two, and then the rest of them. Um, and for as good as Scotty Barnes has been, I think he deserves a spot there. But I think Cade is very clearly number two right now in rookie of the year voting. Um, 
I agree with you. I, the, like Evan Mobley is so good, um, but it's just people that are not going to watch either of those teams and are just going to look at the highlights are going to see a very, very pretty game from Cade. His release is so smooth. He gets that ball off so fast. Um, you really got to hope that because the Cavs are actually good this year, people are tuning in. Yeah, and I, I think they are. I think they are. And if you saw Mobley against Giannis the other night, um, he did about as well as you could do against mm-hmm. Giannis. I mean, Giannis still got 27 points, but he had seven turnovers, mm-hmm. which is uncommon for Giannis. Um, I just, yeah, I, I, I know what you're saying and I get it. I just think with people who vote for the NBA rookie of the year in past seasons, it's been just add up points, rebounds and assists. And that's who gets the award. Um, I think this year it's different because of the defensive impact because Cade's a willing defender. He's not a good defender. I wouldn't, he almost leads the league in fouls. I think he's like eighth in the league in fouls. Um, he fouled out in 23 minutes the other night. He, he struggles with certain matchups like pretty heavily. Um, he's not a dynamic athlete. So when you put him on a fast guard, you can expect a big night from the, the fast guard. So it's, uh, it's just one of those things, man, where it's like the county stats and the efficiency. We got to remember, and I want to give Cade so much credit for this. Cade had one of the slowest starts in NBA history for a rookie in history now his numbers look okay he's salvaged them to the point where it's like okay these aren't horrible rookie numbers I believe he shoots 40 percent from the floor and 34 percent from three it used to be 30 percent from the floor and 21 percent from three so this tear that he's been on has been sustained for quite a while to be able to lift those percentages up so it's going to be a battle I know some people that still have Scotty Barnes over Cade um, because of his defensive impact and his mm. counting numbers are pretty good. Um, I have Cade over Scotty Barnes personally for second place, just because the way it looks is so much prettier. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I'm I'm gonna take Mobley. I know you think Mobley should win, or I think that's what. I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mobley is gonna make an all defensive team. It doesn't. I don't think it matters that Cade's gonna have five more points per game and like four more assists per game. Um, that defensive impact is unbelievable. He's top 10 in blocks per game. He's top 20 in every single defensive advanced stat, at least. Um, Like it's more than just being a good defensive rookie. He's one of the best defenders in basketball. Exactly. Exactly. Um, So so let's like put this on paper. What is, what are we debating here? You think Cade's going to get a decent portion of the votes. And I think it's just going to be Mobley hundred percent. Yes. I okay. think Cade's points per game, when it comes all down to it at the end of the year, people are going to not have watched Pistons games and they're going to see highlight tape from Cade. They're going to see 20 points per game, six assists, six rebounds per game. Um, and they're going to give him votes. That's my worry. I think a few Detroit beat writers will definitely send their votes in for Cade, but I think, I think think it's going to be a landslide for Mobley. I think it should be close to consensus. Close to consensus. Yeah. I'd love to see that, man. Honestly, I'd love to see Evan Mobley be empowered a little more offensively. Um, Like Garland's amazing. And the, the one, two punch he has with Jared Allen is amazing, but you could do more with Evan Mobley. There was one game this season 
where I saw like the full offensive repertoire of Evan Mobley. It was against the Knicks in November. He scored 27 points. He had nine rebounds and six assists. It's like, how many other players can like really do that? On top of being the best defender on the floor. Yeah, it's just, it's freakish. I don't want to go on a Cavs tangent here. I'll do this quickly. But as he got drafted, before he played minutes on the court, I thought maybe they could take the ball out of Colin Sexton's hands, which they did, and put it into Mobley's hands on on the elbow to kind of run offense from. That they have done a little bit. I would like to see more of it. If you go to the Cavs' usage percentages, they're super close to each other. I mean, it's like very – they're all even across the board. Um, We have – Colin Sexton at 27, Darius Garland at 26, Kevin Love at 26, Ricky Rubio at 25, uh, Chetty Osman at 20, and then Evan Mobley at 19. He is the 99th usage percentage in the entire league. Um, it's just one of those things where it's like, he's so great, but he, for the betterment of the team, quite possibly, they just don't need him to touch the ball right now because it might help his growth offensively in the long run to get him all those touches now but they're, they're legitimately in playoff contention. So they're just going to keep running the system the way they've been running it because it's been working so well. Yeah. Yeah. You don't need to empower Mobley when you're 30 and 19 or whatever they are. They're like, they're doing just fine. Um, I just, I would love to see it. Um, yeah. I, and I, I think the more we've talked about it, the more I think it should be a lock for Mobley, just like the record, man, is something you got to take into account. Um, and I'm just worried because we see so much stupidness going on with rookie of the year voting. Um, we see so much like with Ant Edwards and LaMelo ball, people voted for LaMelo because he's entertaining. Nobody watched like people saw the first two months of Ant Edwards and they saw him shot chucking and looking awful. And then they wrote him off as a rookie of the year candidate. Um, like those people saw that he had been gaining traction, but they had already made up their mind. Um, I see a lot of that when it comes to rookie of the year voting and I'm just a little bit worried. I think that's what's going to happen, except kind of like the reverse reason this time. Mobley was consistent from the moment he stepped on the court and he's been the same guy since he started. I think he kind of just got the award his first two months of the season. It didn't even matter. It, I mean, it didn't help Cade that he was super inefficient his first 20, like 10 games. Right. So I think like this scoring stretch from Cade might not even matter which is sad it is sad but maybe i mean and even if you watch like if you go look at espn sometimes and you listen to the way they talk about these guys nobody's talking about Cade. um espn looked at denver versus detroit the other day and they didn't show a single highlight from his 34 8 8 2 and 4 game not a single highlight didn't even bring it up um so maybe that does maybe that does go in your favor i hope that it does I, I all right, this might get long. <laughs> Buckle in, but guys, but um, we talked about it today and we've talked about this so many times, but there are four franchise, there are three franchise guys picked in the first four. Houston got boned, man. Houston got boned. If you were to do a redraft, I don't know how far Jalen Green falls. Like there, he, what is he chosen seventh? Maybe. Does OKC try to go for him at six? I think that would have been a good landing spot for him, honestly. Probably, yeah. But, I mean, it's just – it's nuts. Actually, this won't go long. We can close it at that. But it's just like (laughs) this draft is so good, and it's been so fun to watch these guys. Like, 
Cade, he'll be one of the guys I attach my wagon to for the rest of his career. I just, he's such a good teammate, such a good guy. The way he plays is so pretty. Um, this rookie class is going to be one that I make sure I watch for the rest of their careers. Yeah, man. Uh, it's, it's even like Zaire Williams is showing a lot more than we saw from him in the beginning of the year. Um, so many of these guys look to be on such a, such a positive trend with their rookie career so far. And then there's Jalen green, who's just stuck in a poverty franchise. Um, it's, it's disappointing, but I think it's, it's good that they picked him because neither of us really care about him and we don't want to see Evan Mobley waste his career in Houston. No, we do not. <laughs> so, I mean, it ended up working out the right way, I think, but it's an unfortunate for the Rockets and for Jalen Green. And me and you caught whiff of this right before the season started. Me and you both kind of came to the realization, like, what is the benefit of a player who scores and does nothing else? Mm-hmm. And uh, we talked about this morning over text with Jordan Clarkson and his contract situation and all this stuff. So, yeah, man, hopefully for the Rockets moving forward, they find some impact players in the draft. I just think they are on a very dangerous path. They are what I'm seeing from them right now is eerily similar to what the Kings did with the Marvin Bagley pick. And it's just like, is this just going to become the new Kings of the NBA where they suck for 15 years in a row? I really hope not because Houston has some really good fans and they've had a really like historic franchise with Hakeem and James Harden and this stuff from the high of James Harden and being one game away from the NBA finals. Um, and to go down to where they are now is depressing and it makes me feel bad for Houston fans for sure. It's yeah, it's not great. Yeah, <laughs> no, not at all. It's not great. <laughs> so I think that's probably going to wrap everything up for us, Ben. Do you have anything else to say before we head on out? No, that's going to do it. Thanks everybody. Peace. Thanks, guys. Thanks everybody for listening in. If you want to interact with us at the chase down, make sure to find us on Instagram, Twitter, and blogger at the chase down pod to join the conversation. Peace everybody.